0: Thank you. Welcome to Papyrus Hopecast. We have three aims with this podcast. Firstly, we want to share stories of hope with you. These stories are about hope found in a variety of people and places, even in some of the most difficult circumstances. The second aim we have is to host a conversation in each episode. We want to get people talking, only with one small caveat. Well, maybe it's not that small. At Papyrus, we're looking at ways of destigmatizing suicide, of bringing it into everyday conversation, so that we can save lives. We want to practice what we preach. So while these conversations are going to be friendly, informative, and full of hope, we are also going to discuss suicide from many different angles, because we need to get better at talking about it. That is the third aim: making suicide part of the conversation. So once again, welcome to Papyrus Hopecast.
1: Uh, hello, I'm Liam from Papyrus, and today for uh, Papyrus podcast, uh, I'm going to be talking to Ryan, uh, Ryan Ferguson. Uh, Ryan is a passionate writer, he's a blogger, published author and journalist, and his journalism has featured in The Guardian, BBC Sport, Liverpool, Echo, These Football Times and the Montreal Gazette. Uh, he's not just a sports analyst though, he's also a mental health campaigner and has written for The Mind Map. Um, He has appeared on BBC Radio Merseyside and Radio City Talk, discussing his love of writing, of sport and uh, particularly important, um, in light of today's podcast, his uh, personal struggles with suicidal thoughts. Um, And we caught up with Ryan on a September evening in Warrington at Papyrus HQ. So um, hi Ryan, thanks very much for coming and chatting with us. Obviously, on the first Papyrus podcast, really excited to have you um, here. Um, so, I wanted to just dive straight in and have a, have a chat with you about some of your writing. Really, you've obviously written a book around Chatterer Rovers, which is um, Planet Petonia, um, and you've written really prolifically around baseball. It seems that sport is really important to you. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I think sport is for me. It represents escapism. Um, and a sense of identity um, football and baseball are two very different sports um, obviously you know football is, is ingrained in our culture isn't it, the, the northern culture um, and it was sort of passed down to me through, through generations yeah. supporting Trammy Rovers um, and obviously that, that sense of community that sense of belonging is something that's, that's really powerful um, whereas the baseball that's that it's totally sort of you know left field isn't it um it's it's, it's you know nobody's interested in it where, where I grew up in uh, in Wirral um and for me that was sort of like um it was my sort of passport to, to, to another world and it's just that escapism um and I discovered baseball on channel five back in the day when they used right. to have all the American sports on um, I just stumbled across it one night and um yeah, I was just hooked really, and it was just that it was something personal that that I I had one interest that I had, and nobody else sort of nobody else had it on their radar. And it was it was great for me to sort of get away and just you know immerse myself in that world. Um, so I think you know sport for me, it's uh, it's something to hold on to in difficult times, and it's it's that sense of structure and community that really appeals
1: to me. Fantastic. Well I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the community aspects of, of um of sport, particularly football, obviously. Tranmere Roveries fan. Um so there's I imagine there's a, a really communal element within the, the terraces. Um there's been a lot of news recently around some of the lower league clubs, Berry in particular, some really sad news there. Um how important is that community aspect of, of sport to you, do you think? Yeah, I think it, you know For me, football
2: at at a basic level is, you know, it is identity and it's community. It's that sense of belonging and it's like, um, you know, it's one town against another town and it's that sort of clash of uh, values and cultures that that people really associate with. And, you know, we talk about football clubs as us and we and it's that, that association, that connection you have, that bond. It's uh, it's really quite powerful. Mm. Um, like you say, the 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 terraces are just you know it's it's uh, a gathering place really for for people of, from all different backgrounds, um, uniting behind sort of one one goal, one interest. Um, and on that afternoon, nothing else seems to matter. Mm. You know, where you're from, what your background is, what you do through the week for a job, um, and you know it's it's yeah it's it's something that that's just sort of in my blood, and it, it's really um,
1: one of my huge passions. Mm. You, you obviously talk about it very, very well, uh, and you can sort of hear the passion come through. Um, tell me a little bit about the book um, and, and what, it's, what it means to you as a, as a Tranmere Rovers fan to have that in, you, in your locker, really, that you've written that book. Yeah, so, you know,
2: I've always wanted to be you know, a writer, a journalist. That was always my passion um, growing up and uh, as a Tramia fan I was sort of I was always preoccupied with how the club was sort of underestimated um, you know it was overshadowed by Liverpool and Everton the, the, big, the bigger clubs across the water you know the Premier League clubs um, and Tramia was just discarded as this uh, like the younger sibling of, of Liverpool and Everton and you know the, the mainstream media didn't really give Tramia the credit they deserved Um and I just, I just thought the club had such a unique history and a, a great culture that d- deserved to be celebrated um, and, you know, the, I felt like the papers locally and the radio stations hadn't done uh, justice to Tramia. You know, they'd send a reporter who, who covered Liverpool and Everton and, they, you know, they'd send them to Tramia and they wouldn't even know who the players were and the, the reports were just, you know, they were rushed and they were... You know, brief, and I, I actually I remember sort of pestering editors like, "Can I write about Tramere for you?" Like, voluntarily, just like, "Can I sort of help you out?" And they they, they weren't you know they weren't forthcoming, they weren't receptive to that kind of um, attitude, I guess. But I just thought after a while, you know, let's just build something myself. So I started a blog, um, Planet Printonia, and that was basically. Um, telling the untold stories of tramway history, um, you know, there's a lot of great history there. You know, Tramier was formed before Liverpool, for instance. Mm. Um, you know, Tramier found Dixie Dean, and Pongo Waring, the two of the, the best strikers in English football history. Um, the three top, uh, highest goal-scoring seasons <laughs> in First Division history were all um, all done by players that Tramier found in Birkenhead. Um, and I just thought like it was it was remarkable to me that nobody had ever sort of covered them <laughs> stories you know such a such a long history and such a great heritage um you know and it was it was it was good to to, to get those stories out there and really we developed a sense of community around that blog right um and sort of you know've got over four thousand followers on social media and I think it's been great for people to sort of Gather around those those articles, and you know the amount of people who've said to me that we represented sort of their passion and we articulated their memories, I and mean, I think that's 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 brilliant for me. That's that's more than any sort of monetary value, uh, and you know I'm really pleased that we managed to turn the best best work from the blog into a book. And uh, like you say, it's it's fantastic to have that sort of you know, in your locker that you've, you've written a book and it's, yeah, it's a proud moment. Mm, absolutely. You should be very
1: proud of yourself. It's, um, it's fantastic. Um, so I wanted to just move away from the sports side of things. Um, for, for now, um, obviously we wanted to speak to you after we'd heard that you'd used helpline UK for support. So for our listeners, um, Papyrus, uh, helpline UK, it's a suicide prevention helpline. Um, are you okay to just kind of run us through your experience and sort of how you were feeling when you did reach out to the service? Because you've, you've used Line yeah. your UK haven't you? Yeah, that's fine. Um,
2: so I, I struggle with uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, generalised anxiety disorder and um, depression as well. Um, and for me it was, uh, you know, I felt like I'd, I'd lost the, ins- the instruction manual for life and I'd lost my sort of... Um, my playbook, really, in terms of how I dealt with those conditions, which are, you know, they're, they're conflicting in parts, and it's it's quite quite a confusing place to be in at times. Um, and you know, I think for me personally, I was under a lot of stress at the time, sort of uh, workplace stress. Um, you know, suffering through a lot of sort of rejection and abandonment, really, from from friends and. Uh, just because, you know, I was I was taking a different path to to the norm, I guess. Um, and you know, it was it was a dark place. It, it really was. Um, and there was, you know, there was times where you know where I was just wanting to to hide in my room, or just you know run away, or get in the car and just drive and just keep driving. Um, and there was times where I just you know. Uh, I didn't want to be here at all you know I I just thought it was such a my presence was such a burden like it felt sometimes on on other people um and I remember things sort of came to a head um one day when I was just you know I can't even remember what what day it was what what month it was it's just so dark and bleak um and I remember we were we were sitting in, in my living room at home and you know we were just discussing things with with my mum and dad and my, my brother and um you know I just, I just felt paralyzed like i just uh, i couldn't see any way out and it was that that hopelessness is is the worst darkest state i've ever, ever encountered um and I remember you know for the first time when when my dad asked me sort of you know have, are you thinking about Suicide? Are you having suicidal thoughts? And I remember, you know, when I said yes, actually it was, you know, it was, it was a relief in some ways um, because I was, you know, I was struggling with those thoughts, those intrusive sort of ideas were popping into my head, and um, to actually get that out there and admit that, that was, that was a crucial first step in, in, in the road to recovery, really. Uh, and it was actually my dad who who made the the phone call to to Papyrus to Hopeland UK, and uh, you know that was you know that was the start of my recovery really, and it was it was a very distressing time, you know it was the, t- the tears were you know flowing, it was yeah every emotion you can you can imagine really, um, but you know the advice I got and. The, the guidance
1: I got is, is pivotal in, in where, I'm, you know, where I'm at today. Fantastic. Well, wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. It's um, really brave. I mean, I've, I've read your blog, um, but to uh, hear you sort of put it in your own words, it's um, it's really good to hear. And I am so pleased, and I'm sure everybody else is, lately, that you're on that road to recovery. Um, I think a lot of people who listen to this story may have experienced sort of similar things that you've experienced and talked about, a lot of people want to know sort of what's what's next, how do they keep going? I think it'd be really good to sort of understand what, what gives you hope and, and, and what you or what keeps you going and what keeps you focused. I know that you've written a lot about it, but it'd be good to hear it from, from your own perspective.
2: Yeah, I think for me I think hope is it's linked to achievement and I think that achievement is connected to a goal, uh, setting yourself a goal. And a lot of times that goal is aligned with your passions, so for me, you know, the, the key thing is is having those passions and having those interests, and I think they're huge sort of, um, you know, roadblocks to, to prevent you from sliding sometimes mm. into those darker states. Um, if you can set yourself a goal, you know, it doesn't have to be the most elaborate goal. It doesn't have to be something monumental. It can be you know, getting up one day and you know taking a shower, going out to the shop, something that simple. But setting yourself a goal and then achieving something that represents progress for you whatever that may be however big or small that may be i think that's where hope is derived from uh, certainly in my in my experience anyway mm. um and it's just having that single-minded approach in terms of pursuing your goals um and you know celebrating the victories that you have as well um, i think we focus a lot on what we don't achieve and what we you know what we don't manage to accomplish whereas um you know we should praise ourselves more in general we should you know we should look at what we are actually achieving and, and, and put our focus there and yeah in every achievement i think there's, there's definitely hope you know no matter how small
1: you know the achievement may be it's an I think it would be really good um, to get your thoughts on because obviously I want to go back to the sort of the beginning of of your story really, which is um, sat in your living room, you're talking to your mum, your dad, and, and your brother, um, and, and and having that initial conversation and being able to say for the first time that you are struggling with thoughts of suicide. What would you recommend to someone who who might be in a similar position who's struggling with those thoughts? Um, to help keep themselves and and potentially help them feel better.
2: Yeah, so I think you know the the first thing is to you know admit it to yourself. Like you know, for me it was uh, you know it was quite quite common that I would sort of dismiss those thoughts and I would like, I would think this can't be happening to me. You know, I can't be thinking like this. It's not real. Um, but it it was happening, you know. It, it, you know, and that sort of don't be prejudiced to your own feelings and accept what's what's actually happening to you because that's that's the first step to you know once you acknowledge it, and then you know then you can express it. You have to acknowledge it to express it, and once you express it to people that you trust, you know, reach out to 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 somebody in confidence, whether it is Hopeline UK, whether it is any of the other charities out there, you know, get that support, and and get that sort of, uh, secondary opinion, more than anything, Mm. Um, and, you know, no matter what, how alone you might seem, or, you know, how, you know, how far you might have fallen, you know, there's always a way back, and there's always somebody out there, who can, who can help, Um, so, I think, just acknowledge it within, and then, express it, externally and, and
1: that'll set you on the right course to recovery excellent stuff well, it sounds like obviously you've got a lot of stuff that keeps you focused and you, you talked a lot about setting goals big or small whatever they may be is there anything that you could sort of recommend or anything that you do personally that you would consider self-care that helps you relieve stress helps you manage your anxieties and just helps you helps you stay well
2: yeah so obviously first and foremost is, is the, the, medical, the medical treatments that are available um, you should always seek medical advice, you know, in terms of mental health crises, mental health issues. Um, you know, I've I've experienced different sort of antidepressants, different uh, dosages, um, and I've also, you know, experienced therapies, cognitive behaviour therapy. Um, so obviously, the the medical route is is one one avenue, um, but I think another thing for me that I find useful, especially with OCD is like compartmentalizing things. So my my sort of strain of OCD, if you like, is not uh, ritualistic. It's not the the classic connotation of turning the light switch on and off five times before you leave the room. For me, I I sort of struggle with the uh, the more obsessive thoughts. So, uh, you know, I'm quite sort of obsessed with processes and plans and strategies procedures for things and i try to plan things you know five ten years in advance so what i find sort of helps you know sort of control that anxiety is um you know having a time and a space for each task that you that you do for each responsibility that you have put it in some sort of context and then set boundaries for yourself so for example At home, I have sort of a writing room where I've got my desk and my books and, uh, you know, a lot of the projects I'm working on can be quite stressful. So it's good for me to sort of leave that, leave that, close that door, leave that room, move on to something else and just take, you know, take a different approach in a different space and
1: uh, don't try to overload yourself. so I want to I want to go back to your, your, your journalism now and your, and your writing that you've obviously talked about with with some real passion as well. Um, I've read through your blog. Obviously, you're a big Libertines fan, um, and I think you've you've actually interviewed John Hassel, haven't you, from from the Libertines? Could you tell us a bit more about what that what that band means to you? Cause I know you've done a lot of writing about them. What do the Libertines mean to you?
2: Yeah, so know, in those dark, the darkest times, sometimes for me it was just. Um, words couldn't even penetrate, you know. The, I call it like the black smog that was sort of mm. like engulfing me. It was just even like loved ones, you know, the, the, the well-intentioned advice that you'd get. It was it, it wasn't penetrating that that, that feeling of, of gloom and dissatisfaction. But you know, I'd just I'd sit there and I'd I'd listen to music, and it was just it opened up this this other world for me, and it was just. There's something about you know the the way the instruments just sort of like collided and it was it, that that penetrated the, what I was feeling and that got through to me and then you know the lyrics were so relatable for me I and mean, it was just you know it they, they really did really did hit home and you know they, I suppose it was a source of hope as well going back to, to our earlier mm. sort of discussion on hope um, and you know I remember there was a period where. Like I was saying, I can't even remember sort of dates and times and everything was just blaring into one sort of black splodge. And I remember like that this Libertines gig I was at, and that was like the first time I remember feeling anything in like weeks, months, and it was just like there was just something, something great about the band that just really hit home with me. And um, like you say, I've been, I've been lucky to sort of meet the meet the band since then. You know, interviewed John, and um, you know I've got a chance to, to meet them at a an upcoming gig as well, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, and I think it it proves that you know you can find hope in in the most innocuous of things. And it, it's for everybody. It's going to be different. What 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 sort of um, represents escapism to you. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be. Um, something mainstream it doesn't have to be something common um but if if you're passionate about something just you know channel your energy towards that and uh, I think good
1: things will happen brilliant that interview you um you did with John Hassel that ended um or you published rather in, in, in Mindman magazine um can you tell us a little bit more about who they are and, and what they do? Yeah, so the
2: Mind Map—it's um, an organisation in, based in Liverpool uh, that I've become involved in, sort of this year. Um, Phil Bridges uh, is the founder; he does great work, sort of in the mental health space. Um, and the Mind Map, sort of basically, uh, you know, it, it attempts to navigate people to, to better mental health, especially um, you know, younger people. Um, and they use a lot of sort of popular um, like interests as avenues to discuss mental health. So whether it be football, whether it be music, culture, fashion, they use those outlets to explore mental health and normalise it, um, which I think is is huge in terms of breaking the stigma, um, because these are. These are subjects that we all talk about every day, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, um, you know football, sports, music whatever um, and if we can use that as a as an avenue to sort of explore wider issues in terms of you know interviewing pop stars who have suffered interviewing you know footballers who have suffered it brings that that uh stigma it breaks it down and it 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 makes it more relatable for people and um and the mind map have been have been brilliant with me you know the one of the the key services they they provide is sort of uh, signposting therapy cbt um and yeah there's a whole sort of range of resources on the website and self-help tools that kind of thing um loads of original writing interviews um so, yeah, just uh, take a look at that. Um, definitely, there'll be something there for, for you know whatever you're going through. You just have a search on there, and you know there'll be some sort of uh, some sort of tool that can
1: help you. Thank you for for, for explaining a bit more about what they do. Uh, you, we've we've talked a little bit about um, some upcoming stuff that you've you've got going. Obviously, you mentioned the the, the Libertines gig that you go into, which sounds really exciting. Um, what else have you got planned for the future? Yeah, I just want to want to. Pursue my writing
2: more. You know, I really want to turn that passion into sort of you know, something bigger, if possible. I really want to deliver value to people. I think, you know, I'm a huge believer in the in the power of storytelling to, to have an impact in the world, whether it be writing, whether it be books or podcasts. Um, I think there's definitely a message there that I can I can bring to people, and you know, if I can share my experiences and help people who are suffering, you know, similar down down spells, down periods. If I can give them hope and if I can sort of help them get on the right track and signpost them to some help, um, you know, I think that's that's something that'll be definitely worthwhile and it'll be, uh, it's far more, far more uh, rewarding than sort of any sort of like run-of-the-mill job, I guess.
1: Excellent. Well, um, Thank you so much for um, for coming on and, and speaking with us. It has been a, honestly a real privilege to to speak with you and hear more about your story. Um, as I say, you, the, you, your blog was a real um, a real eye opener for me. It was amazing read. So thank you again for for coming in. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a real privilege, and I think uh, yeah, I think a lot so. of people will uh, will stay the same. Yeah, I Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot. No problem. for listening and for your part in making suicide part of the conversation Sometimes listening to these stories can be really hard so if you are a young person struggling with thoughts of suicide or if you're concerned about a young person you can contact Hopeland UK on 0800 068 4141 you can text on 077 or you can email pat at papyrus-uk.org.